All right, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll begin tonight and find out if all did or didn't do their homework. All right, Father, thank you for your goodness to us and grace again today. Uh, Lord, we've gone through a day that perhaps was busy or slow, depending on the circumstances of the day, and yet in every aspect of our life today, every moment of this day, you were with us, you were watching over us, you were leading and guiding us, you were loving us, and we thank you for that. And tonight is to look at our involvement in the new community that you put us in, uh, the body of Christ, the church. Uh, we thank you that you have put us into it by your grace, but also you are dispensing that grace to use us for your glory in this world. Help us as we continue to look at that to better understand what your word says and how we are to respond to your glory. Amen. All right. I always get really warm no matter what I do speaking, but this is blowing on your head. So if you get warm, uh, let me know. We can flick it back on. I just don't know if you guys can hear. I mean, I can keep yelling louder and louder. And if you're in an uncomfortable spot, feel free to turn your chair however you want. This is not a perfect setup in the sense of everything is arranged. You arrange it what's good for you. Everybody has a book tonight. Anybody not have a book? Okay, we do have some in here. Just happen to have some of those for you. All right. And the highlighters are for you that what I'd like to do, as I said before, what we see in this subject that we're looking at week by week is enough material each week that we could spend three hours on it. And you're like, praise God, we're only spending one. All right. But that means you've got to go through it quickly, and you can only hit the key things. So the highlighter, um, whether you like it or not, and I'm not saying you have to use it, is when we do hit those key things tonight, we're all on the same page. If you see my book, it's all colored in and everything else. That's how I read. I wreck every book. But at least this way, we can see some of the key things as we go through it together tonight. So I won't ask... Uh, did you do your homework? I will just assume you all did it, and we're all on the same page. Carolyn, I see that hand. Oh, you go, man. And then everybody's going to go, hey, thanks, Carolyn. Thanks for messing it up. None of the rest of us did. Oh, absolutely. Then she's going to be like the one that's going to be the star pupil giving all the answers tonight. All right. Looking at, well, last week we looked at God's new community, and we're obviously talking about the church and its place, and as we looked at last week, the goal isn't primarily, and, and last week being in the auditorium wasn't a good situation, but it's not primarily intended to be simply just lecture. It is us doing a Sherlock Holmes, in a sense, through scripture, through a case study, through some statements, to come to some conclusions and then see what others have to together because too often what we do we just sit down and go hey what's the teacher saying i buy it you know unless it doesn't sound like normal kool-aid we drink it all right but when it comes to how we ought to study scriptures personally or in church is like the berean believers in Acts 17 they were more noble than the people in Thessalonica. they searched the scriptures to see what paul was saying was true so we can say this is what the church should be, but at the end of the day, it's not because I said it, Ken said it, or any other person said it. It's because we have seen this in Scripture with our own eyes, and we've drawn these conclusions. So that's really our intent in this type of a study. It's intended to be more inductive, and when I say inductive, just think Sherlock Holmes, all right? We are searching for clues to give us answers, to draw conclusions. So as we did last week, we want to overview the issue, but I start by, here is the second issue, and that is a biblically functioning community, and I'm going to pick apart later in the evening the words biblically functioning and the word community. But I start with two questions. I'll just throw up here, and this is to keep us looking up, because I'm afraid if you look down too much, eventually your head will stay down, and it will start bobbing and drooling on your book, all right? If I keep your head up a little bit, that'll help. All right, here's a question for you as it starts today. When we think of biblically functioning community, and we think of community, we're talking about the church, not our church, but the church at large. Can you think of ways that you have seen in churches, whether churches you've seen on TV, churches you've attended, other churches, ways that you've seen that they are not functionally functioning biblically? 
All right, that's one question. Second question, we're only going to take a couple minutes for this. And you may say, hey, I just arrived. I'm not quite thinking yet. Second question is this. Can you think of ways that you have seen, and I'm going to step over here, churches that demonstrate they are not functioning relevantly? Biblically means the things that they are doing don't seem to square, don't seem to fit with Scripture. Not functioning relevantly means you've seen things in the church that just don't fit with 21st century life. It hasn't, it's like we're stuck in the dark ages or we're trying to use the same thing we've always used. The old motto is, so that's, that's where we are. Have you seen that and what does that look like on either one of these? Yeah, Carolyn. Oh, yeah, she's already ready. But yeah, I didn't even have these questions. You're ahead of the game here. Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, she, she brought up a hot subject, and that is, is that a biblical function? And that is having a woman pastor, woman preacher. And I will just lay my cards quite quickly on the table. I would say that's not functioning biz- biblically, all right? Obviously, it's kind of hard to be the husband of one wife as a pastor if you are the wife, all right? Uh, and so one of the things we want to do is the church functioning biblically. Very good. Anything else? Relevantly or biblically? Yes. So what she experienced is what the Reformation exploded in the 1500s. And that is the mindset of the Catholic Church up to the Reformation was cannot or understand the Word of God without us. And so it was punishable by death to have the Word of God put into your language. They kept it in Latin, which was the language of the learned, so the common people, they can never read it. So then you can foist all kinds of stuff on people. And biblically, suddenly, the guys that we're starting to see, Martin Luther, John Huss, John Calvin, many of these guys, they were saying, hey, this is not even close. Yes, Carolyn. Wouldn't that be like the same way for the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is, they had taken, like Jesus said, with your lips you honor me, but your heart is far from me. You are putting on a good religious show but at the end of the day, you've gone astray from the Word of God. And so that's what we're looking at. When we're talking about biblically functioning, these are two key issues, the issue of biblical, the issue of relevant, we want to walk through tonight. Now, on page 2.1, all right, these pages are based on the issue, issue number two, and then page number one. So we're looking at overview of the issue. Very rarely will I read larger sections. Sometimes I will because it introduces it. So I want to read this first section on overviewing the issue and just hit some highlights as we walk through this to introduce where we're going tonight. It says, The Jerusalem church made a monumental impact on the surrounding culture. Their contemporaries said of them, they have turned the world upside down. Now, let me just pause and say, isn't that interesting that that's what they said about what the church did? Really, the church was turning the world right side up. The world was already upside down. But the gospel to the world looked upside down. It was really doing just the opposite of where they were going. It goes on to say, in a very short time, the church grew from 120 in Acts chapter 1, that they were meeting in private uh, with the original 11 apostles and others who believed, and suddenly after Pentecost, 3,000 plus. Those who had become part of the church nurtured and encouraged one another as a family. Here's where we're going to look at tonight. 
we're going to examine the factors that made the Jerusalem church effective in fulfilling God's purpose. Too often when we think effective, we also think a synonym is successful. Success can be a badly defined term in churches. And that is, do we want to be successful? Maybe. We certainly want to be effective. And success oftentimes, and I used to jokingly say this when I was in China, all right, and didn't always flesh out well from English to Chinese. It would flesh out better here. We measure success in a church by buildings, bodies, and bucks, all right, by how many people do we have here, is the place growing, and do we have money coming in? All right, we're a successful church. But that really was never a measuring stick ever in the book of Acts, and the issue wasn't success, it was effectiveness. You know, was that church effective in fulfilling God's purpose? Second thing is we want to differentiate between function and form. And this is where things can take on a life of their own in the church and become, well, this is the way we've done it, so it is the Bible way. Let's, let me give you one quick example. People for many, many years said the way you do visitation, the way you do evangelism is what? You go door to door to door to door, cold calling door to door to door to door. Funny thing is then JWs and Mormons start doing this and suddenly nobody wants to answer their door, you know. And everybody's putting up the sticker like, don't come with handbills. I don't care if it's free. I don't want it. All right. But there were people who, who basically were saying, if you weren't doing evangelism that way, you weren't doing evangelism. But that's not, that is not the, the absolute non-negotiable scripture. Scripture says we must do evangelism. God never said, Jesus never said exactly how to do it. It's going to be different in different cultures in different ways. Door to door is never going to work in China. Because I'm going to get to a certain amount of doors and suddenly there's going to be somebody behind me going, you can't do that. All right? So we have to think of how do we do it. And obviously that wasn't the only way. Third, evaluate our own church and our personal dedication to its essential functions. So, let me just throw out to you tonight four quick questions that we're going to look at tonight as we try to grasp this issue. The key questions we're looking at is what made the church so effective, what caused it to grow so rapidly, and let me just pause and say this. How many of you have heard of the church growth movement? In some way, shape, or form, you've heard about the church church growth movement, all right? Um, really, the church growth movement, it started quite a long time ago, quite frankly, back in the, back in the early 20th century. And, and oftentimes in history, in the history of the church, oftentimes theological problems started with a method or an idea to grow the church that turned into a theological problem. Because our, the quest of the church growth movement was we are in the Great Commission reaching more people with the gospel. Is that true? Absolutely. We've got to be doing everything. We're all about that. That is our mission from Christ. The question is, how are we to do that? And the church growth movement, what it started to do was, instead of looking to Scripture for their truth, it started to look to business, look to marketing, look to how did businesses make themselves successful, and then take these ideas and say, if you plug these into the church, you're going to grow your church. That may be true. If you do your church like Burger King and we say, have it your way, you, the, you do it that way and they will come. You know, that's, that's the Burger King mentality of too often with the church growth movement. So, again, if we're going to see community Bible church grow, and when I say grow, I see Scripture talks more in terms of spiritual growth than numerical growth. Quite frankly, if you look at Jesus' ministry, when he presented the truth, what happened? Most often, there were less people, not more people. So when I see churches exploding into mega churches really quick, you know what I'm doing? I'm going, all right, so where did you fudge on Scripture to make that happen? Because when Jesus gave the truth, and, you know, again, admittedly, some churches can say, well, yeah, we're a small church because we're preaching the gospel and nobody, you know how it is, it's going to turn people off. That may or may not be true. Sometimes it's because we have not been relevant. That's the other issue. We have left ourselves in the dark ages as a church. So it's a both and. All right, so these are the issues. Now, sound bites are little brief statements. I'm going to ask you to take, wow, 
two minutes. Two minutes to just read through these on your own. And all I'm looking for you to do is for these statements, put a plus next to the one that you think is the best statement, a negative next to the rest of them. And I'll just say skip the last one. The last one says the church is like Noah's Ark. If it weren't for the storm outside, you couldn't stand the smell inside. I have no idea. I'm mean, reading that going, I have no idea. I don't know if somebody just you know, didn't edit right or how they get in there. It's just like, hey, I don't get it. So skip that one. That one's definitely a minus. That one I got a question mark next to. Like, what was that all about? But just... Uh, no. Uh, closest I got to that was a large nursery, the children's nursery. It smells like a barn sometimes. <laughs> I love children. I love I used to do a lockup at our church at Inner City, and boy, man, after a Sunday with 20-something kids in there, wow. I remember Upland Hills Farm when I was a kid, and I think that was better smelling than that nursery. All right. So, yeah, I have no idea. So quickly, just look at these and see if there's one that you in your mind snag and say, yeah, that one is good. The rest of these, I don't know. This one's not good. I don't know. Just curious of your thought on these sound bites. What are they saying? First one, the modern church would be much more effective if we just operated like the early church. Thumbs up or thumbs down, all right? I'm just curious. How many thumbs up, how many thumbs down? I mean, don't look around because that's what we do. We look around. Just stick your thumb up. Make your decision, all right? All right, good. I mean, that's good. Now, there, there's, a, there's a, a, a kernel of truth to that that we're going to see in our study tonight. But if we simply said... If we just operate like the early church, what does that mean? Does that mean we're always meeting in our homes? Because some communities, their their, uh, guidelines for those cities, they won't let you ever do that anymore. It's against the law to do that, all right? So there's a lot of things we'd have to pack into that. Second statement, though the Bible dictates certain functions, it does not dictate the form which those functions should take, up or down. I'm not sticking my thumb up because I, I don't want to clue anybody in. All right, I see some thumbs up. I see some people going, I'm not playing this game. <laughs> All right, I'm not in this game. All right, I didn't see any thumbs up. She's like this. I think she's hitchhiking. Yeah, so she's like halfway there. Yeah, so she's like maybe yes, maybe no. All right, good. Third one, if the Apostle Paul preached in Sunday mornings from a pulpit, so should we. You're like, okay, yeah, chuck that one. That's an easy one, all right? Effective churches constantly evaluate how they are doing ministry in order to remain relevant to the culture they are trying to reach. Okay? See a bunch of thumbs up, no thumbs down. All right. Now, you're like, well, which one was your plus, which one was your minus? All right? Um, Obviously, my minus clearly was the middle one there about the Apostle Paul because there's a really good chance not only did he not preach from a pulpit, there's a really good chance when he preached, he preached sitting down. All right. There's a really good chance that that's the case, because if you look at the Gospels, whenever Jesus taught in the synagogue, the teacher sits down. All right. Now, we could see the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah, they stood at a pulpit, and that's where we get the word pulpit, because that's how King James translated. We got the word pulpit. It was a platform, whatever you want to call it. But the one that sticks out of my mind the most is the fourth one that many of you put your thumb up. And the second one. The second one we're going to see as we go through the study tonight, particularly what Gene Getz says in his part of his article that we're reading tonight, is how he develops that issue. And this is really was really important for me in China. You know, when I'm working with these house churches and house church leaders, I have to keep in mind as I'm teaching and training, I am not trying to teach you how to establish and how to grow a an American church in China. I'm trying to help you to grow a biblical church that fits in China. And there's a lot of things about American church that are never going to fit in China. So I have to, I had to do, you've heard this word exegesis. That means pulling the meaning out of scripture. All right. Eisegesis is when we're reading something into scripture that's not there. Exegesis is pulling it out. I have to, and they have to, when it comes to God's word, pull out what is the meaning 
But I also have to pull out what is their culture, because I don't understand everything about their culture. I know like an American. I'm going to wear American glasses when I see what Scripture says, and I'm going to say, well, this is the way you should do it in China, because this is what worked in America. may not work in China. Because, as we're going to see, there are certain things we cannot avoid. We all must do that are regardless of culture. But then how we do that, there's very little said in Scripture about the how-to part of it. So God gives us a lot of freedom, a lot of liberty. So you thought through that. If you go, we're going to go to this question in a minute. Let's do this. Yeah, we got time. I'm going to read the Sharon case study. Uh, you may or may not have read it. Here's about Sharon. I'm just curious if this resonates with your experience in any way, shape, or form. And all I'm going to look for is, yes, been there, felt that. All right? And to do this, i got to put my glasses on and not knock the microphone off. You met Sharon a few weeks ago as you were strolling in the park near your neighborhood. Since then, you've become regular walking partners. You both enjoy spending time together discussing the issues of life. For a while, you weren't really certain if Sharon was a believer. So you finally mustered up the courage to ask. You weren't really surprised when she said that she had been a Christian for a few years, but you were surprised by what followed. Sharon said that she had joined a church shortly after becoming a believer, but soon became very disillusioned. She felt like the church was little more than a glorified social club that didn't do anything positive for her. No real teaching, shallow fellowship, and little compassion for hurting people. Furthermore, she said she felt like she was stepping back into the 1950s every time she went to church. It just didn't seem relevant to her. After her first experience with church attendance, she never tried another one. She believes that she can have good Christian fellowship with her friends at work and other places. After all, the two of you seem to have spiritually uplifting times together. She has no faith that a church could really be more effective. What would you say to Sharon to help her reconnect with the church? Well, I'm not going to ask you an answer to that because we don't have time for that. But at least you see that all of us at some point in time have felt what Sharon has felt. It may be that we felt like this is, this is an iceberg place I'm walking into. I mean, you walk in, the place is all bright and cheery, but it's like walking into a meat locker. It's cold in that church. And one of the benefits of going as a missionary, I traveled to churches all over the place. And you get all kinds of feels going into so many different churches in America. What do they feel like? What do they look like? And what they look like on the outside and what they are like on the inside can be two different things. For you, what part of Sharon's situation have you ever felt before? And I'm not asking for here necessarily because there can be negative things you felt here. Um, we will never be a perfect church because you have at this church sinners leading sinners, sinners ministering to sinners. So that's the deal. But what have you felt? Jan. Absolutely. And those of you that have been here at community for a while, I've heard some of you since I've come here say this. And it's not that you're not happy that the church is growing, but you're saying it's harder to relate and connect with people like we could in the early days because our church is growing. So we have to find ways in leading the church, like community groups and different things like this, that we can find that builds community within the church. And, 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 and again, the mega church movement and all that type of thing really, I think, misses the point of the New Testament. The New Testament wasn't build the church as big as you can. The New Testament was as churches grow, those churches start other churches. And it keeps that closeness, that, that growth going in a positive direction. Because when we get too big, what happens? We start to go into management and stagnation mode. We just get stagnant and we maintain the place. And we just go about our business. And we become spectators at the big house. Pardon, sorry, Your Honor. Michigan State House. <laughs> we go back and forth all the time. All right, so that's what we're looking at tonight. We want to look at what happened with the early church. And, and again, 
the best way to do that is, is seeing the scriptures. It asks this question every week. So there on page 2.2, up at the top, it says, what is the central question or issue before us? In other words, we've been jabbering here for 25 minutes talking about these things. What is it? We could put it either in a statement form or a question form. And because by this point on Wednesday night, if you haven't had a cup of coffee that, Dave, uh, that the Davises have made or whatever, and you're still foggy in the brain, I'm always going to be the one to answer this question as best I can. All right, here's what I came up with as an answer. If, if this is the gist of it, and again, I don't have a teacher's manual to go, here's what they gave as the answer, so I didn't have to think about this. I had to think about it. So here's what, as I'm thinking about it, what is the issue that's before us? And I just put it in the form of a question this week. I put it in the form of a statement last week. What should we learn from the early church that will make us effective today? All right. So we want to look at the early church and help us be effective today, not simply mirror everything of the of the early church, because we can't. We are a different time. We are a different culture. We are a different lot of things. All right. But. Make us effective today, how? By reaching the world for Christ through our church, all right? This isn't effective in the sense that we grow the church and make it big, and so now we tell everybody, here's how you make a big church, all right? We want to be able to grow the church, and it goes beyond the walls of this building, and that is growing the church is the body of Christ throughout the Downriver area and throughout the world. So that's where we're trying to go. So the key to our study every week is this second section as we walk through it. Study the scriptures, all right? As we mentioned, there's six steps. First one is grasp the issue. The issue is what makes a church effective and are we doing that, all right? So here's the scriptures. Last week, uh, we looked at this and, and we answered this question. I won't take time to read all of this uh, because we read the whole thing last week. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, there on page 2.2. Um, that was the end of, end of Peter's sermon. And at the end of Peter's sermon, Peter says, As a result of the movement of the Spirit in these people's lives, it gathered together 3,000 people, and then Im- immediately, it wasn't like they had a book like, Here's how you do church, read this book, and here's how you be successful immediately in response to the word of God and the movement of the spirit of God, certain things immediately began to happen. And these things, if we see these things, if we look through the New Testament, we see these things happening over and over and over It needs to be true of us. These things are what, and this is the part that really grabbed me that we talked about last week. Verse 47, it says, about this group of believers, this new church, verse 47 says, praise God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That statement kind of troubled me, as I said last week, because Jesus said, if you follow me, they're going to hate you like they hated me. Well, what in the world were they doing? Because it says that they had the favor of all the people. Well, if you read through the book of Acts in time, they don't have the favor of all the people because persecution breaks out pretty quickly. But there was something about that early church that got the attention of people people said, that's something to sit up and notice. And it wasn't the miracles. Because if you look at these verses we looked at last week, the apostles, which is limited to basically 11, probably the 12th new apostle, had powers to do miraculous things. But it says back in the earlier verses in this section, the apostles were doing miracles. It wasn't the rest of the church. What was getting their attention was the relationship of the church. And Bev, you gave it last week. What was the key word? Do you remember? You're like, I have no idea. You gave like the answer last week. What was the word that was repeated multiple times in these verses that showed something about these people? Together. Thank you. She remembered what you said. And yes. That if you read this, if you read through these verses, it said that they were devoted to the truth, the apostles' teaching. In other words, they gave their strength to that, to the fellowship. But if you read through all these verses, it says in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. You go to verse 45, they gave to anyone. Verse 46, they meet together. Verse 46, at the end, they ate together, 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 together. They shared, they gave. 
what does that picture for us? And I'll give you a hint. It pictures for us, and and I say the word four-letter word. It's a good four-letter word, all right? What does that picture for us? Oh, (laughs) that's a bad one. That's a bad one. I'm thinking good, all right? If I'm thinking in terms of this is something... (laughs) That was, I just didn't see that one coming. I did not see that one coming, Bill. <laughs> I saw that the first time I read it. Yeah, I, I see exactly what you're talking about. That cults want to say, hey, bring it all together, pour all your money in here, and drink the Kool-Aid. Yes, you're right. But I'm thinking in terms of the good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is what you don't do. Thank you, Bill. That was a good example. Now, what the early church did do, all right, uh, that was together, together, they shared, they gave, if you could think of one word in the New Testament that describes, thank you, love, all right? Cult is when you don't love people and you are trying to get something from them because you think you are the Messiah or a Messiah-like person. Yeah, I mean, some of you that are old enough remember Jim Jones and everything since then, you know, just horrible, horrible stuff. But Jesus said, all right, uh, I'm going to be gone, and when I'm gone... People will know that you are my disciples not because you have all your doctrinal teaching all perfectly thought out. Not because you got the most awesome building, you have a crystal cathedral. All right? Not because you have the most phenomenal music in the world. It doesn't say that. Jesus said none of those. He said, I'm going to tell you right now, what's going to draw people in is the love you have for one another. And that's exactly what was going on. And people had not seen that before where people suddenly in that devotion said, forget me, I'm all about you because Christ had changed that. All right, so that's what, that's what drew them in. So we're going to see that. As, that's what has to be a hallmark of community. Um, you know, admittedly, I said this last week, people come in, and when they're living in the church, they ask the classic questions. What is there for children? Uh, what are there for teens? What are there for men, for women? Um, what is your doctrine? What is outreach like? What events? All these kind of things. Now, those are bad questions. But at the end of the day, um, what, what should catch people's attention isn't the pile of programs we have. Because there are mega churches that have aerobics classes and everything in between. I mean, just amazing amount of things. I mean, they have fitness classes because they will say in First Timothy, Paul says to Timothy that bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. So, so they'll say, here's a reason why we have fitness program in our church, because bodily exercise profits a little. I'm like, dude, you just completely missed the point. The point isn't that. The point is godliness. So here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to see what in the world made that church dynamic so that it's true of community and any other church that God puts us in, whether here in Trenton or somewhere else in Michigan or God moves us somewhere else outside of Michigan or outside of the country, whatever the case may be. Now, let's go to some shorter scriptures here. Over on page 2.3, if you went through this, you read, all these question, you read all these brief scriptures, and the question was the same. The same question for each one. All right? So I, I knew if somebody said, uh-huh, I knew you'd done the homework. <laughs> I was like, everybody else was like, really? All right? First one. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a nar- large number of priests became obedient to the faith. All right? Just by looking at the statement, very simple. You throw out anything up here. What does this passage tell us about the early church? It's a brief statement, but it tells us some stuff about this early church. What does it tell us? Pardon? It's growing, all right? It's a growing church. What else? In other words, evangelism continues to explode, all right? What else do we see? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what Luke is telling us that some of these religious leaders became real believers. They became true believers in Christ. They've been playing the religious game, and suddenly they are converted. Absolutely. Anything else you see there? Okay. The Word of God was central to what was going on. 
All right. The word of God spreading means evangelism continued to explode, even so much as grabbing the religious leaders who were the experts. They are no longer the experts. What are they? They're babes in Christ. They're starting from from step one. They're not even crawling yet. Okay. Go to the next scripture. Acts chapter nine, verse thirty one. And the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. What is there? Okay. Evangelism, this is going to sound like a broken record. Evangelism continues exploding. The church continues to explode. Yes, sir. Good. Absolutely. And, and we don't have time to look at it, but the catalyst for that, what caused it to move to Jerusalem? What was the turning point to move the gospel out of Jerusalem? Persecution because of the death of Stephen. The death of Stephen started persecution, and it moved people out of Jerusalem. You see, God told them, Jesus said, take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the rest of the world. By Stephen's time, God had to sacrifice one of his choice servants. And God, through Luke, spent a lot of things, time in writing about the character and the the ability to communicate God's word in Stephen, but yet he took him out in order to move the gospel to other geographical areas. Absolutely. Anything else you see there? Okay. God was changing them. In other words, I would put it this way. The church was listening to the Holy Spirit. All right? They were listening. Because if I am obedient as a child, I am listening to my parents, right? Um, It's like I'm going to talk about this Sunday, but I always tell parents that the reality is spanking a child never teaches a lesson. I mean, we all, if if we had parents when we were growing up, you know, there's a generation now that's like, you can't spank anybody. But most of us got... You know, stuffing beat out of us or the neighbor kid back in the 60s in Dearborn Heights. One of the worst things that parents make them do is go get a switch off the tree. I mean, that's just like cruel, you know. Go pull one of the weeping willow branches off and you're going to beat him with it. I'd be getting the smallest one there, you know. I'd break it a little bit or something, all right. But when we're talking about this, the Holy Spirit, they are listening to him, so they are responding to him. When we stop listening, God sometimes has to use things to get our attention to get us to listen. All right? Very good. Let's go one more. Page 2.4. I should say two more scriptures here. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. What do we see? Okay. It sounds like a broken record, but it's a really good broken record. The church is still exploding. The church is still growing. What else is true? Yes. Yes, and the key is the word, the truth, because one of the, syn- the synonyms for the word of God is the faith. In this verse it says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith. Not just in faith, literally the translation is exactly what's in English, the faith, which is speaking about the truth, the word of God. So in other words, again, Luke is tying to all of these, and I haven't even been putting them up here, so there you go, throw them all up there. Luke is tying them over and over to the Word of God. And one, last one, Luke 19.20. In this way, the Word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. All right? This one's a little stranger because it says, in this way. And unless we read all of the verses leading up to it, it's a little confusing. This is during Paul's third missionary journey. He's in Ephesus. And while he's in Ephesus, he is there and there are people there's one exorcism this one a demon is cast out and then you have all these spirits these people involved in occult practices they come and burn their books and then paul says in this way the word of the lord spread widely and grew in power in other words the impact of the word of god was the casting out of demons but particularly people turning from their occult practices and turning to the word of god so again One of the things we see in the book of Luke, or book of Luke, book of Acts written by Luke, because Luke is a very detailed guy. Why is Luke a detailed guy? 
He's a doctor. Probably had horrible handwriting. Somebody probably wrote this for him, all right? But he was a detailed guy. And one of the things that help us see is, as I said last week, we call, often call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. Oftentimes, we better put it, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because the emphasis of the book of Acts is the introduction of the Spirit's work as Joel 2 forecasted or prophesied, but then also seeing it happen. And Luke tying that over and over to the explosion of the church is the Spirit through the Word, the Spirit through the Word, the Spirit through the Word, over and over and over. All right? So we're seeing a pattern here. Now, we've walked through those scriptures really quickly, and our time just keeps going quick every, every week. What we wanted to see was there's a pattern of a, a church exploding and tied to the scriptures. Now, here's where we want to take another step to going even further, consulting other sources. If you had time to do this part, then you really did the homework, all right? This is the longer article. Uh, it's a great article, and you're like, yeah, okay, sometime I'll read it. So here's what I want you to do. If you break out that highlighter, we're going to go through and highlight some things where Gene gets connects some dots for us, all right? I had a, had a guy that he used to say, we need to connect the dots, and ever since that time, it's stuck in my head. It doesn't do us enough to go, yeah, here's a bunch of random ideas out here. This is good. Help me connect the dots. In other words, help me make sense of that. Well, Gene Getz does an awesome job of that. If you look on page 2.5 on the far left column, it talks about a church planting experience. Uh, it's a neat story because Gene Getz, back in the 70s, he was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He had been doing some research on the New Testament uh, church, what it looked like. And in that research and discussing it, he met with a small group who wanted to learn about what he had been studying. And as he shared with them, 20 or so people that night, they kind of caught the fire of, you know, we, we've not been seeing this. We've not been doing this. But we'd like to ask you to help us do this because we've been seeing a lot of churches that are playing church, but they aren't doing what you're saying Scripture says should be true. So literally, him, his wife, and 20 people, they started this. But what they did is they took time to ask some key questions. So here's where I want to kind of hit some of these key questions. He said, <coughs> we wanted to find out what experiences were true of the early church that should continue to be true of us. So what I did in my book to help pull it off the page for me is... That is a question. It says, first, first, they ask this question, what kind of experiences do believers need to become a dynamic church? All right. He said, this is the first thing we wanted to find out. We wanted to look at scripture, see what was happening, what and dynamic mean, doesn't mean it's like exciting. It means it's active. It's moving. It's like what happens in the book of Luke. It's growing, 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 growing. It's not stagnating like a pool of water in a pond, all right? So they wanted to ask, what kind of experiences do believers need to become a dynamic church? And they wanted to pull those out of the New Testament, find out what does Scripture say must be true, and then where do we have liberty, all right? Where do we have freedom to develop those things? Go over to the right column, middle down. There's a box there just to the right of the box. It says second. And I put a two in mind, but you can highlight this. Second, we asked ourselves, what kind of forms and structures should we develop to provide our new body of believers with these experiences? So he said, we wanted to see what did they do. Then we wanted to determine now. We're in the 1970s, all right? Just start thinking, you know, the end of Woodstock and a lot of weird things in the 70s, all right? And go from there. All right, so back in the 70s, what it looked like then and what it looks like in 2014 is probably a little different, all right? But it had to be a lot different than the early church because this church was down in Texas. This church was not in Israel, all right? It was in America. It was down in Texas. And even southwest Texas is different than the West in some respects, all right? So they wanted to find out what are the forms and structures we can use to develop these experiences in the life of our church, Third thing, down at the very bottom of the third, uh, that's that right column, rightmost column, the very last sentence again. It said, third, we wanted to be totally open to the divine leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay? 
And I'll admit, when I read that, if I just read that statement by itself, that could be a scary statement, all right? Because people say, well, the reason we're doing all the things we're doing is because of the movement of the Spirit. And I would say, that's good as long as what you say the Spirit is guiding you to do is guiding you through the Word of God, all right? Because the Spirit will never guide us to do something that's contrary to the Word of God, but God does allow us much how we function in methods to accomplish the purposes he lays out, all right? Now, I went blah, 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 blah. It sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher right now by 8 o'clock, all right? Pause for a second. Any questions of what I've been saying so far? Okay. All right. Go to page 2.6. Now we're going to see what are those three vital experiences that they wanted to, they came up with from the book of Acts. Uh, and when I say experience, just so we don't think of that in terms of something strange, all right, they weren't thinking of that either. When I think of experiences is this means we participate in something that is happening, all right? I experienced this. I participated in it. You know, if I say I experienced a football game, that's not really true. I watched a football game. I didn't experience it because I didn't participate in it. So when they were talking about experiences, they were saying, what are the things that people in the early church participated in that made that church a dynamic church? What was it? All right? And he said there were three vital experiences that we don't have time to develop tonight. But you're already going to know this because we hit on it last week, and you're going to already go, yeah. First one is uh, two vital experiences. A vital learning experience with the Word of God. Over and over, what echoes in the book of Acts is the Spirit and the Word. The Spirit and the Word. The Spirit and the Word. Okay? Whenever you start going, Word, 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 no Spirit, you got a problem. You start getting dead orthodoxy. Whenever you start going spirit, 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 no word, you got crazy stuff that has no boundaries, all right? There is a balance of the two. The two fit together, all right? That's what we see here. So they had an experience with the word of God that was central to what they did. Second, over in the far right column, 2.6, it says a vital relational experiences with one another and with God. And that is not only was the word of God central to what was happening in their church, but it was a relational thing. It wasn't just coming to a Bible study. It wasn't just coming to worship. And here's the hard thing to keep remembering is, if we show up to church to just hear and soak and walk out the door, and it's not transforming who we are with one another because of who we are with God, there's a disconnect. There's a short circuit somewhere. There's some wiring that needs to be fixed. And that wiring is usually in our head. And that is, I've done church I put the money in, I've prayed, I've sang, I've listened, I'm gone. Then there's a wire that's going to be reconnected because God says this should drive us to relational because it starts with relational with God but then pans out and makes us so something's going on. Not because there's the latest Christian rock going on and it's just blasting everybody out. Um, yeah, Northside had... What was the name of the group up there? Northridge, not Northside. Had, no, they had... Yeah, oh, yeah, can't, like, fix my eyes. I want to sing, yeah, King and Country. All right, they were just up there this past Sunday. You're like, oh, really? I wouldn't have gone to the celebration dinner. Well, sorry, it's too late. Now you know, all right? All right, but that's, that's what is done at mega churches. Bring in the big show, and we bring in crowds of people. We forget... That when you go back to the simplest stuff, what made them have favor with those people is when people go, you know what, I'm a hurting unit. And there's a place that I just walked into that I felt like there's people who cared about my hurt, even though they didn't know who I was. All right, that suddenly makes that place dynamic. It could be the ugliest building on planet Earth. It might not even be a building. It might be school number six that you are in, you know, that you guys did as, as Paul, as Paul. Peter and uh, Pete and John were saying, yeah, in our gypsy days when we were going around with all this stuff, all right? But that's part of it. That's what was growing out of it. The third vital experience, go over to page, all the way to page, page 2.9. You're like, oh, good, we're moving now. 2.9, far left column, says vital witnessing experiences with the unsaved world. And that is if... 
if the Word of God is central and is moving us along and it is causing us to grow in our relationship with God and with one another, then the natural response should be, we want to tell other people about this. Um, how many times have we seen a new believer and they are a dynamo with the gospel? And then, over time, they become spiritually flabby like the rest of us. They're kind of sitting around going, wow, this is a great show, you know? And, and, and at the point is, suddenly there's been a disconnect in the relationship with God because the passion that was there is still drives us today. And if I can take this, here's a highlighted section. If I can pull your highlighters out, this is an awesome statement that Gene Getz says. Bottom of 2.9, left column, one, two paragraphs up. There's a big paragraph and a dinky paragraph in that far left column. It says this. The community of love became the most important ingredient that impressed these new unbelievers. I mean, it caught their attention. And he goes on to say, at the end of that paragraph, the Jerusalem believers' Christ-like lifestyle and mutual love became the bridge, the bridge that enabled them to share the gospel with the people who had open and listening ears. One of the things we will see often in people's lives... And this was very much so in China, very much so, that so often people's testimony of how they came to Christ was through a crisis, through a problem, through a broken situation, broken family, broken marriage, broken something. Something was broken. And somebody showed them love, and that was the bridge. They didn't come in cold going, hey, you know, why don't you come to our church? And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, most of us will admit it hasn't been cold calls that come to our house that made people come to our church. It was a relationship with somebody in that church that God provided an opportunity to reach out to them because they needed something. And I don't mean just money. Sometimes they just needed a listening ear. I mean, you know how it is that you can feel loved more by somebody just because they listen, not because they did something for you. Have you done that? You listen, 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 and later somebody writes back to you or calls you later, says, "You have no idea what you did for me. Thank you so much." We're like, "What did I do? I just listened." But that's that's what happens. Here's people who cared because they had a God who listened to them. They learned to listen in that same way and loved in that same way. And so that's what makes this bridge between Community Bible Church, Woodhaven, Allen Park, Southgate, Rockwood, blah, 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 everywhere we go, all right? Where we have been put as lights, the bridge that will bring them to us is not saying, hey, we have awesome programs, we have an awesome pastor, we have awesome this, you know, all these kind of stuff. At the end of the day, what should grab their attention and be the bridge is the love that they're seeing, that they badly need whether they realize it at the moment or not. And we have to offer because of Christ. So let's go to the next thing. Church planning experience, three vital experiences, typical church structures. And we've got to land the plane here in six minutes. I promise we will. Typical church structures. All right. One of the things that God allows is freedom. But what happens is, as you've read through this article, I'm just going to give you the highlight of what he said. I'm going to give you the flyover in one minute. Two minutes, maybe. One and a half. He talked about three different types of churches, Bible training churches, relational churches, and evangelism churches. In other words, we're supposed to be all three. Some churches are just like, that is the place to go. You're going to hear the word, and you're going to have great teaching, great preaching. Without fail, you're going to have that. You go to this other church, you go, hey, the preaching's not so good, but man, these people love each other. These people, I mean, they, they, I just feel like that is home. To the door. Now, the preaching, eh, not so much, all right? Other churches, they are what they call themselves soul-winning churches. We are winning the world for Christ. You know, we had a 1,000 people saved last year. There's only 200 in the church, but we had a 1,000 people saved last year. You know, these types of things. Now, the point that he's making is we get the church caricatured. You know what the word caricature is? It's what I got when I was 1978 on my class trip for high school. Of all things, a Christian high school, I have no idea. We went to Daytona Beach. I have no idea. We did. All right, got a caricature made of, you know, goofy high school skinny kids with, you know, curly hair because it was humid, hot, we're swimming in the beach, all this stuff. 
but it makes us look different than we really are or exaggerates what we are. Well, that's what happens is churches, they become specialists in one area and they're known for this or known for that. Well, Jesus said, you're known for your love, but experiences, you ought to be involved in all of them. We ought to be a word-centered church. If people come away going, I felt really good um, we need to it, it should be that because they do feel the love of each other, but if they walk away going, I just got warm fuzzies every week and I got nothing from the word and something's misfiring, okay? It has to be the word. It has to be fellowship, and that should be motivating us to reach out, okay? Now, having said all that, I got to blow through here because here's what we got to do. Here's one thing that he said on page 2.11, God's ideal plan. He said there are certain things that we have to differentiate between function and form. Go to page 2.13 where it says form or response. Let me just kind of throw this together really quickly. How we need to be functioning as a church whether we are community Bible church or God pulls you somewhere else. You get a job transfer and you're at some other church, some other place, like the Sternbergs, you're somewhere else now. You're a different church now. But what doesn't change is those experiences Gene gets in that church in the 70s saw, these are non-negotiables. We can't change these things. But God gives us freedom on the how-to. So if I look in terms of 2.13, there's a it gives us eh, about seven, eight, nine, ten things there. And in that list, it's saying, the, what is function, what is form? Function means this is an absolute. It must be done. It's a Bible principle. Form means this is method. This is a different way of doing it. All right? So help me on this. If we're looking at teaching the Bible, is this function or form? All right? It's function. It's something we must do as a church. Now, how we do that, we have different ways of doing it. We have preaching. We have small group study. We have interaction. Sometimes we just have lecture. We have personal Bible study. We have one-on-one -on -one study. A bunch of different ways. All right? That's form. What about evangelism? Again, function. But what has happened in churches sometimes, they say, this is the way you must do evangelism. And suddenly the form becomes equal with the function. That's a problem. When we start to say the only way to do evangelism is this way, we've elevated a form to the function. We can't do that. That's when we get in trouble as a church. Down here to Sunday morning worship service. Form. Right. Uh, what do you do in Muslim countries? This is a tricky one. Muslim countries that a working day is a Sunday. All right. Uh, a friend of mine who was in Egypt, uh, a friend that I met back in the 1990s, came over to study from Egypt. They had church all the time on, on, on Saturday night or Sunday night because Sunday in a Muslim country is a working day. Their worship day is on Saturday. So they don't want Christians being able to go to church because they want them to work. That's a form. Small groups. Form. All right? In your big group, small groups. Nothing says you have to be small groups. Believers gathering for fellowship. Function, all right? They were worship, fellowship, teaching, evangelism. Sunday school. Form. Preaching from a pulpit. Counseling. Yeah, you know, I, I wrestled back and forth going, function, form, function, form. Okay. It almost could be both, quite frankly. Because when I think of counseling, I think in terms of discipling people, all right? Helping people obey. Now, our time is gone. I have 27 seconds to wrap this up, all right? I knew that we wouldn't get to the questions that I had hoped to. My hope and intent tonight was to help us to see, again, we can look at a lot of different details and, and wrap up a lot of different things into a church but there are certain non-negotiables that always drive the engine of a church, and we're trying to find practical ways to make those continue to work. The danger we have to always guard against is do we do things that that form becomes more important than the function? In other words, how we do it takes on a life of its own. When it does, we need to discard that form. 
because we need to find a way that makes the function of evangelism in the 21st century in Michigan because Michigan can be different than New England. Michigan can be different than southern Mississippi, um, how people relate. Been down in the south, they're really friendly down there. I mean, really friendly people. You come up north after living down there for a while, you think, man, we are a bunch of grumps up here. You know, it's like, holy smoke. But it's just a different world, different culture, even within our country. But our goal is taking the truth and in our time, in our culture, connecting it to life. And at the end of the day, they see the love of Christ in that church. Suddenly, people say, I want what they have. And if they say that, and it's because of our building, because of our programs, because of our ministries, whatever it may be, then we aren't reaching them the right way. We've missed the point. What should draw them in is the love that is shining through our lives with one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the love that we experience every day uh, is not a wavering love. It's not fickle like ours. It is unchanging. And as you reveal yourself to us and reveal ourselves to ourselves as well in, in the sinfulness of our ways, we see more and more the greatness of God in spite of who we are. I thank you for that. I thank you for these dear brothers and sisters who have come tonight to study. I pray that you would help us to reflect the glory of the body of Christ wherever we live so that others will be drawn in and want to know him as well. We pray in Christ's name.